You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate, we are starting a new series this week called Renewal Starts Here, and I'm incredibly excited about this because we're chasing after uh, our very heart and what it means for us to have renewal in our spirituality. And I go all the way back to a moment where I'm in college to really connect this all together for me personally. It goes back to a moment where um, me and my friends, we're, we're going to go down to the beach to go camping. And I was with this girl. Um, her name is Paige. I hope you've met her. She's great. Um, ended up being my wife. But I'm trying to impress her um, all the time at that point in my life. And so we all go down to the beach and uh, we get all of our stuff to camp on the beach because that's legal in in Texas. And so uh, we bring all of our vehicles down there. Um, and one thing you have to know about me and camping, I'm an incredible wuss when it comes to like sleeping on the ground. Like I just can't sleep on the ground. And so I'm the guy who goes and I bring my air mattress. And so I bring my air mattress. I get there and realize that my air mattress is one of those air mattresses that has to be like plugged into an outlet to work. Obviously, there's no outlets out there. And so I'm, you know, sheepishly go and say, hey, can I borrow a truck? I need to go to it, back into town to find an outlet to be able to air up my air mattress and try to hold my air mattress on the way back to um, the beach to be able to, to have it for our time um, out there camping. So I take Paige with me. And so we go out. Out. And I don't know if you've ever driven on the beach, but there's this experience um, that you might have had um, and that we had at that moment where you're driving along the beach and the, you know, the sand gets a little bit more, um, it's not as packed and you start driving and you get slower and slower and slower. Then all of a sudden you just stop. And we, you know, we looked at each other and all of a sudden this thing is just like, it's not moving. And I did that one thing that you should never do, right? I put it in reverse to try to get out of it. Um, but when I put it into reverse, all of a sudden, all, the only thing that happened was this is like, and the back end of the, of the truck just goes all the way in. And so I do that thing, you know, the next wrong move is to try to be able to put it in park and reverse and park and reverse or not park a drive in reverse, drive in reverse. And, um, and I try to get it out. And finally we get to the point, um, you know, just brilliant me where the tires, like it's all the way to the axle and the tires are just spinning like, uh, like in when I put it in drive, I don't even touch the gas pedal. They're just slowly spinning. They're not touching anything. And so there we are. We don't have a cell phone. Um, we're out on the beach. It's probably 1 a.m. out there on the beach. And so uh, we're like, what do we do? What is going on here? We're a couple of miles away from our friends at this point. And so, uh, so we're just trying to figure out, uh, man, we might just be out here, you know, walking back and saying, hey, we totally got your truck stuck. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, to the rescue comes this truck that is like loaded with like 12 dudes, completely trashed, um, pull up and with this like this glee on their face say, hey, do you need some help? And, um, and you know, the only answer to that, uh, here I am, you know, trying to impress this girl is, yes, can you tow me out, right? The worst words that one dude says to another. And so, uh, and so anyway, they hook up. Um, they have a four-wheel drive vehicle. I did not. Um, and they pull the truck out and uh, we navigate um, back to back to our camp and, uh, and, and have to tell the whole story, the whole embarrassing moment, right, of being stuck. And I'm in, in that moment, um, you're sitting there and, um, and, you know, just like if you've ever been stuck, you don't know what to do. Like you've, you've gotten yourself into this thing and there's nothing you can do to get yourself out and you feel so 
hopeless and helpless. And that was me back then, but I still think in this moment, um, there's some connections that we can make in terms of not just getting our vehicle stuck, but getting our soul stuck and getting our heart stuck when it comes to our spirituality. And in this moment, um, I wanna ask you, um, because I feel it in the same way, it, are you stuck spiritually? Are you in a place like, like many of us that are that is stuck? And, and maybe it's, it looks like this. Maybe you, you struggle to feel connected to God. Is, is that something that you can connect with? Or maybe you struggle to pray regularly and connect with God in prayer. And you're like, hey, this is, this is a struggle to be able to do this. Um, maybe that sense of inspiration isn't there. Um, maybe you find yourself doubting and, and skeptical. And you're like, I'm not even sure what this is all about. Maybe you find yourself um, in terms of like connecting with people uh, around God. Maybe your motivation is really low with that, or maybe you feel perpetually guilty. Um, but, but I think for many of us, there's this sense of being stuck. And there's this sense of um, like, what do I do? And is this all that's there? And in this season, I guess the question for all of us is if we feel stuck, um, do we want to get unstuck? Is this something that we're content with? Or do we begin to have this thing like, hey, I want to get unstuck. I, I, I want to not be content with where I am in this moment. And so I, I think we ask ourselves those questions. We begin to say, hey, do I feel stuck in this moment? Is there something that I want to be able to get a sense of like, of, of newness, of freshness, of not being able to be in the same place? And so um, if you're like me um, and you begin to think about, okay, if I'm stuck and I want to get out of this, really, what does this look like? And sometimes it, it can feel like getting unstuck spiritually is, has to be this like lightning bolt moment, or it has to be this super spiritual moment, or you have to do all this stuff that is just like really radical. And, um, and really what I want to do is, as today I want to talk and for the next few weeks, I really want to talk about how to really get our souls and our hearts unstuck in a way that's not confusing, but as a way that's clarifying. And so the good news is this, this series is aimed for our hearts. It's aimed for the very sense of, of who we are. It's aimed at getting us unstuck. It's aimed at helping us to experience Jesus, maybe like we've never experienced before. And so over the course of this, um, we're going to try to figure out how we can experience Jesus together. And one of the things that you're going to have an opportunity to do is not just hear sermons, but we want to provide you with a resource um, called The Pursuit of God by a guy named A.W. Tozer. And this is just a, a, a classic book on really what does it mean to have hearts that long for God. And so if you're a part of a discipleship relationship, we want to provide this. And it's going to be like three bucks for you to get this super cheap. And we're going to, we want this to, to happen um, for all of us to be able to have this. And it might be the best $3 that you've ever spent in your life. Um, but this is, um, this is one of those core things. And I want to give you just a little bit of an, of an understanding because I want us to get this and I want us to be able to simplify what this means. And one of the things that I think about um, is like in this moment, we need to be like Michael Scott. Like we need to understand, hey, what does it look like for spiritual renewal? Can you explain this to me like I'm five? Um, and so we want to make this simple, but we want to make this profound. And so as we think about um, what this looks like, um, there's a moment that we're in, um, in, in our culture. There's a moment in our church and I think there's a moment that this book speaks to. So let me give you a quote out of this book. In this hour of all but universal darkness, one cheering gleam appears within the folds of conservative Christianity. That there 
are to be found increasing numbers of persons whose religious lives are marked by growing hunger after God himself. They are eager for spiritual realities and they will not be put off with words, nor will they be content with correct interpretations of truth. They are athirst for God and they will not be satisfied until they have drunk deep at the fountain of living water. Resonate, this is what I want us to pursued to be people that fall in line with Tozer's vision of what happened then. And the fascinating thing is this is written in like 1948, but can be applied to 2021 as we begin to think about the darkness that we've walked in and the breakthrough that many of you are beginning to to expect and and to be able to long for right now in, in our lives. This is uh, this is my desire for our church that this in this moment this could be written for for our church today that there's something that is happening in the hearts of our people that are drawing them to a thirst like Jesus and to experience Jesus like they've never experienced in their life before that that we begin to see this and, and where it starts is this idea that there's some of you who are beginning to have the seeds of of, of being discontent with the way that things have been and the way that things are spiritually. And there's something that starts in all of us that change happens out of a discontentment, right? We begin to see this, this entire 2020 that we begin to see cultural change happen because people are beginning to say, something needs to happen about this. There's something that needs to change. And that begins in us. That begins in your heart and you begin to say, I don't want to stay stuck. I don't want to stay in this place of lethargy, of apathy spiritually. I want to have this glorious life, the experience of Jesus that will completely satisfy me in my life. And so we look on the inside and we outside and we say, there's something that has to change. And sometimes this is a moment. Sometimes this is an event. And sometimes this is over the course, there's this growing sense of a new desire that we have in our life. And I want us to cultivate this desire. This is something that I'm praying that begins to ignite our hearts and we begin to have something. And so let me give you um, basically a prayer that I want to kind of use as a prayer for our series. Um, but it comes out of the same book, the, the, the Pursuit of God. And here's what he says at the end of the first chapter. God, I have tasted your goodness. This is what I want to be a part of us. And it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I'm painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. May that be a part of us. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy, a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I've wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. And I would say amen to that. This is one of those moments that I feel like God is, is allowing our church to recognize and to rise up into something that we could taste and begin to be filled with. And one of the things I want us to get is the clarity that you can be someone who has a moral life, who has a worldview of Christianity and miss this depth of relationship with God, completely miss having a real relationship with God. And so I want to, as, as one of your pastors, to be able to really clearly say, let us not be satisfied for merely having a worldview, merely having morality, but let us only begin to say, we want a real relationship with God. We want our hearts to be awoken. 
in a very significant way. I remember in college, again, I mentioned Paige. Uh, this is a theme throughout this as I begin to talk about my heart um, that uh, I went to college and one of my first relationships uh, as a friend was meeting Paige on my se- on the second day of college. And we became just close friends. Um, and then three and a half years later, um, that friendship changed and that friendship became a dating relationship. And I knew that God had called me to um, to pursue Paige in a dating relationship. I knew that God had called me um, to, to pursue her um, and that this was really where, where the Lord was leading. And I knew that in a very cognitive sense. Um, and, I, and I didn't know fully what that meant, but I just knew that I needed to date Paige. It took me six months from that moment where I, where I knew that I was supposed to pursue Paige and we began a dating relationship for there to be a moment where all I can say is my heart was uh, was strangely awakened to her. And it was almost like this, like my eyes began to see that like this is what a close, this is what this heart connection looks like. And, and I joked with her, like all of a sudden I understood country music. Like all of a sudden I understood what all those people were singing about because there's a sense of just being able to understand that there was so much more. And, and I think that in that uh, there's this place where we can have these the mechanisms of having a relationship with God but without really understanding what does that actually mean? What does our heart long for? Does our heart long for God? Are we stuck in this place where like, I should, but I don't. And so what do I do in that moment? And so here's what I want to do. I want to go back to a place where God begins to reveal to this. This is where it begins to hopefully give clarity to how do we do this thing where our hearts are awoken, our, our, we have this awakening to God. And there's this moment in 2 Chronicles where, where God is speaking to uh, this group of people and it's about the temple. And it's about this temple. And the temple was a place on earth where, where basically earth and heaven met. It was the dwelling place of God. And he begins to recognize or show this is what renewal looks like. So I want to go into 2 Chronicles. And this is a famous verse we're starting chapter seven and be able to understand, hey, what does it look like for us to pursue um, this renewal? So it says this, if my people, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be a holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. And I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. This is God defining how he renews all things, defining the way that the relationship works. The, in the Old Testament, this, this old, the, the temple was the conduit between God and man. It was the connection between heaven and earth. It was the relationship between God and people. It was the place where God lived. Then in the New Testament, here's what God does. He sends his son, Jesus, and the temple goes from being a place to being a people. This is the radical thing that God does, that when you decide to accept the free gift of Jesus, that what happens is that God dwells in you and you are the connection between heaven and earth in the same way that this was in the Old Testament, that you are now the place where God dwells. And so when we begin to look at this, we begin to say, this is how this works in us. 
And so I hope that there's a sense of awe and a sense of how we begin to unpack this as we get unstuck. So let's, let's walk through this and help us understand what it means for us to, to pursue this process of getting unstuck by looking at this verse. So we look at this. We start off with this idea that if my people who are called by my name, and, and this idea is really the simple fact that you are God's and that he claims you and that you are his child, and that should make this the most safe place on earth, that this is a sense of a place where it undoes the original sin of hiding from God, right? It undoes that, that sense of all the way back to the Garden of Eden that we begin to say, God is a safe place for us. You are my people called by my name. And the first part of that, when we establish that relationship, when we establish that we are in a place of trust, in a place of love, in a place where God is for us, we don't hide from God anymore. In fact, the place where we start getting stuck is when we start hiding from God. When we start being able to say, hey, I have to protect myself from, from being able to have transparency with God, that, that I want to hide this from God. This is the place where we begin to have shame and shame leads to stuckness. And so we begin to see this moment that it starts with the relationship of safety and that safety allows us to move into a place of humility. It says, if they will humble themselves. Now let's do some work on this because as a group of people around us in our culture. Everything is fed to you to be able to say, um, you need to value yourself. You need to promote yourself. You need to have um, something that you you know, create and, 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 and begin to uh, really focus on yourself. Everything is trying to put the focus on ourselves. And in this, what happens as we begin to do that, this inherently undoes what it means to humble ourselves. So if we are self-promoting as a people and all the world around you is trying to help you to love and promote yourself because of who you are outside of God, this, this is what really creates that first difficulty in being able to have renewal because we don't allow ourselves to be humbled. That, that repentance leads to renewal. And so I want us to get this, and I want to be able to help us to understand what this means. So we're going to go through these four words, to humble, pray, seek, and turn. But we want to start off with this idea, idea of humble uh, and humbling ourselves. Uh, again, I want to give you a quote from Tozer. Here's what it says. Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. It can be re removed only in spiritual experience. I want you to get that I can't talk you out of this, that when you begin to understand this, this sense of self that hides us from the face of God, it's got to be an experience that you have in your own life, never by mere instruction. There must be a work of God in destruction before we are free. This is, this is powerful language here, right? There must be a work of God in destruction before we are free. We must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us. We must bring our self-sins to the cross for judgment. I, this is powerful because it's so directed at this thing that really keeps us from renewal, and that is the focus upon ourself. This is the idea that we don't really need the grace of God, that we are doing okay. And, and one of the fundamental things is that we mistake um, really the core of our motivations, that oftentimes what we believe is that we are good people that sometimes make mistakes. And if we are good people that sometimes make mistakes, then we never have to repent because really it's just, man, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry, I, you, you know, um, but, but really it's just, I, I made a mistake. 
And if you're a mistaker versus someone who commits sin and someone who says, I did that on purpose out of this desire that is in my heart, radically different. And we begin to get to this place where we don't really need to be humbled. We just need to you know, have this moment where we overlook the mistake versus a sinner where we have to say, no, that is who I am. That is what I wanted. And this is against God. Now, this is something that's really hard for us. In fact, it might, it might be hard for us to understand right now the difference between being someone who is a mistake, as a mistaker, and who sins and is a sinner. Because if you're a mistaker, then all you have to do is do better. Mistakers just have to try harder. They just have to break nasty little habits. Mistakers have to be more consistent. They have to try harder next time. But if I'm a sinner, that's more fundamental to who I am. If I'm a sinner, then simply trying harder is not going to get it done. Because if I'm a sinner, then I probably owe somebody something and I probably deserve something. Even if I don't want to know much about it, if I'm a sinner, trying hard isn't going to help me. If I'm a sinner, I need a savior in this. It means when it comes to guilt that I have sin and that makes me need a savior. And maybe we'd rather be someone who makes mistakes but that makes me a mistaker, which means I just need to do better. And I want you to understand that's the fundamental problem, that the overall thing is that we are held to the perfection of God. And under that, we are all sinners. But we can easily begin to believe that we're simply not a sinner. And this is what the, the, the evil one would want you to think, is that you're not really that bad. So you really don't need a savior. So you really don't need to repent. So your heart's really not renewed. And so in this, as we think about the difference between moral mistaker versus saved sinner, this is the gospel. This is the difference. And this is where it begins, that we will never be able to be renewed if we believe that we are really are just a moral mistaker, that we make some mistakes, but we're really just a good person versus a saved sinner. Someone who at the core of us rebels against the ways of God. And by the rebellion that we have in the perfection of who God is, we never measure up and need Jesus to come and meet the needs that we cannot meet ourselves. So a moral mistaker, this is what it looks like. And, and for some of us, this really is who we are. Their spirituality is mostly in crisis because we don't think that we actually need to pursue that their spirituality is mostly in moments of crisis, that spiritual rhythms are generally absent, Right? because we just need a pick-me-up in difficult situations, that there's a fragile identity because we are not defined by our being saved, but we're defined by our morality and the ability to do things on our own. And if we don't measure up to this, then there's a fragility in our identity versus a saved sinner. The safe center is one where spirituality integrates into all of life, that it becomes a part of who we are, that repentance is freeing, not crushing, that we begin to see repentance as the safest place on earth. It is freeing, not crushing to us. We long to be able to say, this is who I am, and because I'm accepted, I know that I am not going to be rejected. The identity in Christ alone gives security. That we begin to say, hey, because it's in Christ alone and Christ will never let me down, then I can have security in this. And this is huge for us because we need to understand that grace is what we base everything on instead of just ourselves. And so we could say this, embrace grace, don't save face. Embrace grace, don't save face. You can say that to a friend. Hey, embrace grace, don't save face. So we don't need to protect ourselves 
from this. We need to be people who are open and allow ourselves to embrace grace that we might be able to have hearts that are led towards renewal. See, I want us to get in this place that repentance is where we come face to face with the most magnificent thing ever, and that is the grace of God. This is why we can sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right? That saved a wretch like me. This is renewal for us. Until you understand that you're a wretch, you will never understand that you that grace is amazing. And you'll live this very small, limited life and not the immense idea of what grace looks like in our world. And here's what we have to understand. At the core, here's what we do. You and I, we lie to ourselves. I read a book this week that says, hey, when you're making a decision in your life, just never lie to yourself. And for us right now today, on this Sunday, we need to be in these places where we begin to say, I'm not going to lie to myself anymore. I'm going to embrace grace. So how do we move towards this? The second thing is this, that we begin to not only have this place where we are humbled, but we begin to say, this is what it looks like for us to pray. So first of all, again, we humble ourselves. Number two, we pray. This is the second verb in this in this. Um, in this passage. So as we begin to think about what it means for us, we have to understand how we have this relationship with God. Again, renewal is not just us being able to say, we're going to follow all these rules. We're going to figure out how to do this. But we begin to say, I I am in this relationship with God. And by the grace of, uh, of God through his son, Jesus Christ, I can begin to align my heart with God. And it's not just me trying to figure out how do I respond to this, but I enter into this real relationship. And this is the nature of what happens, is that prayer is the conduit of relationship. That conversation is the conduit of relationship. And in any relationship that you have that is is significant, you've had communication in this. And the communication is two ways, right? It's not just one-sided, it's a two-sided communication. And that always leads to healthy, healthy uh, relationships. I think about going back to um, my relationship with Paige. There's this moment where my heart is awoken, awakened to her. And as we begin to pursue this relationship, I'm in Texas, she's in Georgia. And this is before the you know, cell phones were, were everywhere. We had this long distance plan. And, um, and I had to talk to this girl and she felt the same way about me. And so we would spend hours and talking with each other. We, we didn't see each other, we, but we wanted to have this relationship. We were drawn to each other in this way. And so we would spend two to $300 per month on long distance bills. Now, that's a lot now, but uh, rewind 20 years ago and think about how much money we would have made as, as you know, right out of college um, or in college. Like the amount, the percentage was crazy high of the amount of money that we paid for long distance because it was a priority to have this communication with each other. And I want you to know, we would have done anything. Like we would have paid anything um, in order for us to be able to have this communication. It was a priority because the relationship was a priority. And I want us to get the same thing, that when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to our prayer life, um, it really helps us to understand what is the priority? What would we do to be able to have this communication and these rhythms of renewal? So 
Are you communicating? Am I communicating with God? Is that a part of the rhythms of our life? Does that define how important the relationship is to us? So not only that, you begin to have this next word. If they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's the next word in there. As we begin to understand what does it look like for us to to get unstuck. As we begin to get unstuck, there's this sense of us being able to say there's a hunger in us. That we begin to be drawn to this. That there's something that begins to draw us to Jesus. That we begin to seek first the kingdom. Now here's the, here's the key thing with this idea of seeking. Here's what Jesus says. He gives a promise to you and I. He says this. He says, for anyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, I want you to get, this is, this is huge. Because he's saying this. That the only thing that keeps you from Jesus is your pursuit of Jesus. The only thing that keeps you from understanding how to have this relationship is the very fact that you would be able to understand what it means to pursue Jesus. So in this, Jesus is not trying to hide from us. And here's what the enemy wants you to think and wants you to know and is trying to do in your life. He's trying to get you to stop seeking Jesus because the promise is if you seek, you will find that the only thing that's keeping us from seeking is just our prioritization, our finding is the prioritization of our seeking God. This is a profound thing that Jesus died so that when you sought after him, you will find him, that you would be able to discover who Jesus is. And so if we live this life and we're, and we're stuck, what Jesus says is because there's something that's internal to us. It's not something that's wrong with Jesus. So today, if you're like, hey, I really want to seek Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm, I really want to find Jesus. And I want to say to you, here's what Jesus says. Will you seek him? Will you seek him? So this is the thing that Jesus is doing. For us to be able to say, this is what my heart desires. This is what I want. So here's what happens. Oftentimes, what happens is we want Jesus, but we want Jesus on our own terms. And I think about if we were to compare this to our dating, if we compare the way that we pursue Jesus to the way that we pursue the opposite sex or we begin to pursue dating, um, I think that there would be such a strange differential between what it looks like for someone who wants something and want to, wants to develop a relationship. And I think about this moment in Dumb and Dumber, right? He's putting himself out there. And, um, and it's, you know, so you're saying there's a chance, right? There's a sense of his desire for this relationship is so significant that he's just saying, okay, whatever it takes, I'm going to do this. And so um, for us, man, some of you, some of you guys, man, when you're pursuing someone, you do crazy stuff, right? You clean yourself up, you you smell good, you will drive hours, you'll do all this stuff that is just bizarre. And if you were to like say, hey, this is what I did to try to get the attention and the affection from this person, um, we would be able to say, man, that doesn't make any sense. But you would say, it makes sense because I'm in love. It makes sense because I have this desire in my heart. So I do this thing. And I want us to get, and there's a sense of us, what does it look like for us to pursue Jesus? And what it says is we will find him. And so it says this, we, we seek this. And the last piece to this is the word turn. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they'll pray and if they'll seek and turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to heal their land. I'm going to forgive their sins. This is what we get to this moment. We begin to have this place 
where you begin to see renewal in action, that there's a place where we begin to say, when Jesus comes in, it says that there's something that changes in the way that we act and what we do, that the old is gone and the new is here. This new life permeates the life of the believer. And so we've experienced this. And honestly, I think that this is where we begin to see the gospel uh, just completely change the world is when people look at other people's lives and they're like, they're never the same. They're not the same anymore. And so your life, you might say, hey, this is who I was pre-Jesus and I'm not the same. And other people might look at your life and say, man, you are totally different than you used to be, that you're someone new. And that is the most clear picture of what renewal looks like when we begin to see behaviors change. And you're like, that was the old me. That was not the redeemed me. That was not the sanctified me. There's something new as Christ reveals his life in me. And so over and over in the Bible, we see this. We see just person after person. We see Zacchaeus, the prodigal son, the disciples, Paul, Moses, all the Marys, right? Um, all these people that have this moment where they begin to say, hey, my life is completely different. There's this place that we get unstuck and that leads us to a place where we begin to turn from our old ways and embrace Christ. And so here's what we begin to say. How do we get unstuck? That we begin to get to this place where we're humbled, where we're hungry, and we have new habits. So if I was going to explain it to you like you're a five-year-old, that there's some place, right? This might be too big for a five-year-old, but um, that we're humbled, right? We begin to see the sense that there's something that begins to rise up within us. And we begin to say, I'm going to seek you, God, with the reality that you're, you're, I'm going to be found or you're going to, I'm going to find you. And then these new habits that we have. And when we do this, Here's what we begin to see is that when we do this together, it begins to change the world around us. Over and over for the last 2,000 years, if people have progressed through this and they've had this moment of renewal, the world has changed. It, it, it literally, there's these revivals that happen. And as people begin to say, hey, I've discovered Jesus, people begin to see their lives and they begin to say, I want that. And it begins to be contagious in this. And we call those moments revivals. And those spiritual breakthroughs that begin in one person and begin to spread across other people, this is what history shows us over and over that this is happening. But this is not just a thing of history. This is a thing that's happening right now, Resonate Church, that across the world, there are these places where there's a breakthrough happening in the gospel, that the churches are being planted, disciples are being made in a way that is prolific and significant. And I could tell you things that would blow your mind about the Christian church. And every single time when people begin to study these places that right now in, in, this, in this time, in this place, there's this, this sense of it all goes back to the very same thing. And it's hearts that are being renewed. It's people who are spending time praying and fasting that are being connected to the Word of God, and they're being able to say, this is changing everything. All the this, all this, um, strategies are different, but the one thing is the same is that people are humbled, they're hungry, they're habitual, and God is showing up in significant ways, changing their lives, changing the worlds, and this is what we want to begin to see God do in us. And so we ask ourselves, what does this look like? And so let me give you a word picture. It's from Ezekiel 47. And in Ezekiel 47, really what it shows is this moment where in this vision, Ezekiel describes the trickle of water spilling out from underneath the threshold of the temple. And as Ezekiel has the water flowing out off the temple steps, it begins to describe that the water begins to get deeper. 
and deeper and it starts at the ankles and goes to the knees and then it gets waist deep and then it's too deep to cross. And the vision ends in Ezekiel 47 with this trickle becoming a raging river that brings life and redemption to everything that it touches. This is our my desire for us, that we begin to see the trickle of water. We begin to see this come to this place that we might experience Jesus more than any time before in our lives. And so for us, where do we need to be um, in these places? Where do we need to repent and be humbled? Today, is there a place that you begin to say, hey, there's a, there's a place that I know that I need to be able to say, God, you, you've got to do more. Maybe where is it we need to see renewal to be hungry, that we begin to see this sense of like, there's a longing that I want to have towards you. And will you begin to increase my desire for you today? Or maybe where do you need to create new rhythms that creates new habits? And we begin to have these places where you say, okay, I might not be able to control anything, but I can control my habits that I'm going to take and spend time in prayer. I'm going to spend time um, in the Word. I'm going to spend time um, denying myself of good things for something that is better in terms of fasting. And so what does it look like for us to be able to do this? Where do we need to repent? Where do we need renewal? Where do we need to create new rhythms in our life? Resonate Church, my prayer is that through this season that God begins to awaken your soul that God begins to open your eyes, that God does something in all of us that calls us to have a long for Him that might be more significant than we ever have in our life before, that we would discover what God has in terms of His desires for us. In a minute, um, Austin is going to play for us just one last song, and I want us to be able to take and focus this time and say, God, make it true in my life. So let me pray for us. God, we ask that renewal starts here that renewal starts here in this place with us right now. Lord, I pray that across our sites, across um, states, across time zones, um, anyone who's hearing this, Lord, that you would begin to just press into our hearts and begin to reveal to us something, maybe that is fresh right now, that we begin to be inspired towards being able to pursue you, God, that you would begin to show us something um, that is profound in who you are. We pray that it would be so. Lord, take, speak to us right now as we sing this song. Reveal to us where we need you desperately in our life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.